Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble star, punkin' instigator. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Underground. How nice it is to get back to our regular podcast for a change. I don't know about you, but I really like putting in the effort for our you know, more flashy YouTube videos and stuff, but I also like this original podcast format as well. So today we're going to take a look at a very controversial topic and one that is filled with a lot of opinions. So let's get right to it and walk the tightrope of political and public opinion and talk about the changing attitude towards the military when it comes to homeland defense. I say defense in air quotes because at this stage, we do not believe we are dealing with national defense, but something else entirely. Right now, we are noticing, and we ourselves have had a dramatic shift in our opinion of military deployments on U.S. soil for security purposes. And all of these changes have been the result of the military occupation of Washington, D.C. following the January 6th fiasco. Note that I said military occupation and not security operation. And this is where things get quite unpleasant. As much as we here at the S2 Underground Project support individual service members, we also do not support senior military leadership for a variety of reasons, just like most service members, we think. And we wholeheartedly disagree with military operations of any kind on U.S. soil, except in very, very extreme contingent circumstances that we can't even really define. So when troops were sent to seize control and occupy the National Capital Region in a post-January 6th world, we honestly empathized with the individual soldiers. We understood that they were yanked from their daily lives and thrust into a situation that they wanted no part of. And on top of all of that, they were treated quite poorly by leadership who was not prepared at all for such a deployment. However, there comes a time when a nation's military forces become more of an adversary than an ally. And this has happened over history a few times, so it's nothing new. From the Whiskey Rebellion, you know, a while back in history, to Wounded Knee, something a bit more recent, to the Kent State Massacre and the National Guard deployment to uphold racial segregation in Little Rock, Arkansas, in modern times, right? And the occupation of our nation's capital, the House of the People, in our opinion, is that point. Fencing off the capital and instituting checkpoints, in our opinion, was and continues to be a direct attack on the American people. Security is one thing, and we certainly know all about that life, but tens of thousands of troops digging in, fortifying their positions, and using aerial and electronic assets to spy on Americans on U.S. soil, that's not security, it's a military occupation. And now that we know there is very little security threat to Washington, D.C., these fortifications and checkpoints serve only one purpose, to let the American people know that they are no longer in charge. The regime is. And seeing as thousands of troops are still there in mid-February 2021, and with the regime floating the idea that those troops will remain at least until the end of 2021, this occupation is becoming more and more obvious to the everyday citizen. So we can certainly empathize with individual soldiers who are sent there, but at the same time, 
understand that even though they themselves don't want to be there, they are more of an adversary than an ally of the American people at this point. That is why you will not catch any S2 Underground staff member bringing pizza and donuts to the soldiers that are occupying D.C. We do not want to encourage their behavior and make them welcome or comfortable. Yes, politicians are mostly to blame for deploying these troops, but we do not want soldiers to be motivated to continue this mission. We want letters to be sent to congressmen and women asking, why am I still here? We want governors upset that their National Guard units are being used as the regime's personal security guard. We do not want Washington, D.C. to become a nice, Gucci deployment location with a USO and MWR facility, and we do not want troops to feel welcome or comfortable there. As a side note, we all hold this opinion in normal military operations as well. During our time in the sandbox, we felt that while the USO and MWR and other troop support services, they were a great thing, at times it was counter to the mission itself. We cannot begin to explain how great these organizations are and how the services they provide are a critical part of military life. However, sometimes those of us in leadership positions need to distance ourselves and our people from such organizations. We do not need troops to be in the MWR center playing the Xbox all day. We need them angry. We need troops in the mindset of killing people and breaking their stuff, not in the mindset of baking cookies at the USO. So naturally, we believe the same for the troops in D.C. An army is not meant to conduct policing actions. They are meant to kill people and break their stuff. And we do not need to dilute that sentiment among the National Guard members deployed to D.C., you don't see a whole lot of NYPD squad cars rolling around Baghdad or Kabul or any place like that. So the inverse is also true. We don't see armies conducting policing actions. No matter how much we may want to make that a thing, it's not. It shouldn't be. The National Guard is in D.C. to prevent Americans from entering certain areas and visiting the taxpayer-funded buildings in our nation's capital region. And if Americans refuse to abide by these rules... It is the National Guard's job to prevent them from doing that, using deadly force if required. Anytime the military is tasked with potentially killing American citizens who want to exercise their rights, we have a serious problem. And very few people are phrasing what's going on like this. They're saying words like security and extremism. But like I said earlier, fortified positions, checkpoints, vehicle barriers, live ammunition... And enough fencing and razor wire to reach the moon, that's not security, it's an occupation. And almost paradoxically, since the regime and Congress freaked out with the potential for soldiers to, oh, I don't know, actually uphold their oath, they ended up taking ammunition away from a lot of guard units. This highlights even more that these deployments to D.C. aren't about security, but about forcing the military to bend the knee and unwaveringly support the regime rather than the American people. We don't like having to take this position. Ourselves being heavily affiliated with the military means that it is against our nature to do anything but support our brothers in arms. Nowadays, like I said, it's a common thing to support and respect the individual troops, but completely despise their leadership. And we're certain, again, that most service members feel the same way. But as a society, we're going to have to re-examine that relationship a bit in certain circumstances, like the D.C. occupation. Like I said, we can certainly empathize with their situation. God knows I personally would not want to be in that situation myself. 
And it would be an over-exaggeration to go so far as to suggest that the troops in D.C. are the same as the Nazis occupying Paris. That's not what we're saying at all. But if I was in their situation, I would understand that the American people do not approve of me or what I'm doing, even if I am powerless to stop it. I would understand my place in the world and understand that any animosity directed towards me is quite justified based on what I'm doing. And I would be educated enough to understand my place in history and how people could legitimately draw lines between my actions and a totalitarian invasion. Even if it isn't at all a perfect match, there are similarities. And if I were an officer or an NCO, I would certainly not let the gravity of the situation escape the minds of the Xbox generation of soldiers. A lot of these younger troops truly do not know that they are acting more like the bad guys than the good guys. Again, it can't be helped in a lot of cases without undue risk to the service members who seek to defy orders. But if I were in that situation, I would never let my people forget the gravity of what we were doing. I would never let my people think for one second that what we were doing is constitutional. And I would do everything I could to direct that anger back to the politicians that are forcing service members to potentially choose between killing American civilians and upholding an oath to a document that honestly doesn't have much value at all anymore. And we are not seeing this sentiment being echoed in many places. We are seeing leadership do what leadership does best and ignore the situation until someone gets hurt or killed and then they take a half-assed action. Or worse, they overreact and end up causing more problems than if they would have just kept ignoring the problem in the first place. Senior military leadership, by and large, is in the mindset of flying under the radar for 20 or 30 years so that they can get out, retire, and make millions of dollars at Raytheon or someplace. They don't actually care about their nation, their people, or the impact of their actions, in a lot of cases. A lot of people have been saying for a very long time that the good ones end up getting out before they're 20, and nowadays that's kind of a hard argument to dispute. We ourselves, over our decently moderately sized careers, have seen good people come and go very quickly, whereas the bad ones stay in because they know they can't get any other job outside of the military. And what happens when you multiply that over a multi-generational army and decades of non-conflict, well, you get a, an army that's led by a lot of people that shouldn't be there. That's why the true leadership of the military comes from the low-level NCOs and, like, prior enlisted officers or officers that are of that very rare and indefinable breed that people respect. And it is these people that are going to have to drive home the importance and reality of what is going on. Just go on social media right now and you'll find people complaining about the things that they care about the most, like PT standards or uh, uniform regulations or females in the army not being able to do a leg tuck or something like that. They're not complaining about what we're screaming about in our minds, which is a military occupation on U.S. soil. Nobody really seems to understand the gravity of what's going on. So if a restaurant refused to serve troops that are occupying D.C., or if a hotel refused to quarter troops, I would certainly understand, even if I were on the receiving end of that opposition. The parent that walks their kid to school past a military checkpoint the small business owner who looks out his window to see dozens of soldiers marching down the street, 
the construction worker who has to walk through a checkpoint just to make a living, what are these people supposed to think? Are they supposed to do what they've always done and support the troops that are now occupying their city, their home? Are they supposed to think the National Guard are the good guys? Or are they supposed to feel something else? In our opinion, Americans are absolutely justified in their anger over this occupation. And seeing as the occupation of Washington, D.C. was met with zero resistance politically, socially, or judicially, this military action is certain to continue well into the future and expand to other areas as well. You might want to invest some stock in portable fencing companies because tyrannical governors have learned that the National Guard is truly a private army for them and that they will obey all orders, even unconstitutional ones. And those people that will uphold their oath, well, all you've got to do is accuse them of being extremist and they're gone. So it's only a matter of time before every single state capital looks like Washington, D.C. does right now. At the very minimum, you're going to have governors who call out hundreds of National Guard troops for a dozen people protesting outside the Capitol. That's going to be the norm. It is the norm right now, and it's only going to expand in the, in the future. Over the course of history, many NCOs and officers in the military have taught their underlings to not hate their adversaries, such as the Taliban. Don't hate them, but rather understand that they are an adversary with a certain set of interests and motivations. I cannot tell you how many NCOs have said, how many leaders have said, and how many times I myself have said the words, if this same thing were to happen in the U.S., you and I would join the Taliban too. Now this of course doesn't mean that violence is the answer to this problem. I think that the very fact that pretty much everything we do here has to involve some kind of disclaimer to talk people down from the ledge that everyone seems to be on nowadays speaks for itself. As we have said many times before, in a domestic situation, soft power beats hard power every single time. So we're not saying that Americans should go after the military now. No, that's not what we're saying at all. But we are saying that that relationship between civilians and service members deployed on U.S. soil is a very complex and strained situation. A relationship that must not be full of one-sided support anymore, but rather a balance of mutual understanding. Everyone was under the assumption that military leadership and service members would always uphold the Constitution and would be obligated to disobey unlawful orders. Well, after the totalitarian push after January 6th, we found out that all you have to do to get tens of thousands of service members to violate their oath is to lie to them and tell them that there is a great security threat when you know that there isn't. Hell, according to Congress, soldiers in the National Guard are more of a security threat than the American people, as evidenced by them taking ammunition away from some units. And those that see this whole thing as a ruse, well, you threaten them into silence by threatening their career, or removing them from the situation altogether. Also, let us not forget just how devastatingly effective that the COVID lockdown procedures have been. I remember back in college writing a very long research paper regarding political uprisings, and I remember lamenting that if the U.S. ever saw a curfew in any city in the U.S., that that city would be like Beirut by sundown, simply because of that curfew. But today, curfews are a common thing. They have passed from being a cultural taboo, they've passed being a cultural moray, they are now a norm. These have now become a cultural norm. When did we as Americans decide that that was the case? 
When did we as Americans decide that this was okay? By all intents and purposes, those curfews alone should have resulted in a violent uprising, but instead nothing happened. Why? Well, it's because the propaganda and psychological warfare conducted by state and federal governments worked. They succeeded in changing our cultural norms. Just look back at our own podcast that we made during the beginning of the COVID fiasco, and you'll note that we, at the time, were quite concerned that culture in the U.S. would result in nobody wearing any kind of mask. And the masks that they did wear wouldn't be effective anyway. Well, look at things now. You've got a lot of states that mandate you have to wear a mask in your own home or in the shower, and now double and triple masking is becoming a thing. This is insanity. We, we all know this. So conducting information operations and using psychological tools can result in changing culture, even in a short period of time. In other, more to the point words, brainwashing works. That's why we're greatly concerned with what we are seeing within the military. We are not only seeing citizens becoming desensitized to a military presence on U.S. soil, but service members themselves seeing a CONUS deployment as normal. This is not good. We do not need troops to look at the D.C. mission as just another deployment location. Hell, there doesn't even need to be a D.C. mission. So keeping this in perspective, if military units were to have trouble finding accommodations and therefore were not rewarded by staying in a five-star hotel, which most troops have never seen in their entire lives, well, we think that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. A soldier who is well-fed with free food, paid with a higher wage than they would have received when not on active duty, and asked to do nothing but sit around and wait, all while staying in a lavish five-star hotel with free Wi-Fi, is very unlikely to look negatively at that deployment. And what America needs is for thousands of troops to look at the D.C. mission as horrific, and that they would do anything rather than deploy to D.C. again. It needs to be unpleasant enough to discourage soldiers from volunteering for that mission. Very, very few soldiers refuse to volunteer for the D.C. mission based on the fact that that mission is clearly an unlawful military occupation on U.S. soil. But a lot of soldiers will refuse to volunteer for that mission if it's an uncomfortable one. Again, are we encouraging people to go out of their way to harass and harm National Guard troops in D.C.? Absolutely not. We are simply saying that encouraging and supporting troops deployed to D.C. is not a good thing because it normalizes and rewards behavior that we think is not good. Granted, this puts service members in a sticky spot. They can't really do anything about it, but they have to bear the brunt of American hostility. So this is kind of a bad situation, and we do not ever want to demonize someone or their behavior without offering solutions to help them out of their situation. We want to give them the opportunity to do the right thing. That's why we have spent a lot of time writing podcasts and producing content that will allow service members to do what they can to resist what's going on without outright going AWOL. We're not expecting service members to outright say no when ordered to deploy to D.C. That mentality is nothing more than a pipe dream. However, we can help those people that are forced into that situation. In a sentiment that we have driven home multiple times over the past month, it is rarely a crime to be really bad at your job. And if your job is to target Americans, well, being bad at your job can save lives. 
Inefficiency is essential if you are a part of a tyrannical agency. The tax dollars are already spent by the time you get them, so wasting them isn't really going to amount to that much. The government is just going to take more money from taxpayers anyway, regardless of what you do with it. I seem to recall a series of drone crashes in Afghanistan a couple of years ago, where the company that held the contract for drone pilots and sensor operators lost the contract bid to another company. So about a week after they lost that contract, uh, there seemed to be a lot of really bad weather, and miraculously, a total of nine Scan Eagles were either completely destroyed in crashes due to quote-unquote engine failure, or the sensors wouldn't work correctly, so they were down for maintenance and therefore couldn't support missions. Interesting how that works out, isn't it? So really what we want to say to people who might be in that situation is that we understand your frustrations and we will do everything in our power to help you do the right thing as much as you can, while at the same time mitigating as much of your personal risk as possible. But also realize that the American people might need to distance themselves from you for their own safety. Therefore, don't get upset at people who get angry. It's going to seem like they're taking their anger out on you when it should be directed at the politicians who put you in this mess. Don't worry about that. If there is one thing that all Americans agree on, it's that politicians are to blame for pretty much every bad thing that's ever happened in America. So do not feel like you're the unjust target for Americans' emotions. Rather, try to understand your place in the world and think about what you would do if you were not in the military and were just a regular citizen. Do not dehumanize American citizens like we all do to the civilian populace when we deploy overseas. You are not in Baghdad. You are in the United States of America. You are not fighting to liberate a faraway land from its oppressors. You are deployed to help the oppressors continue their domination over the American people. Do not misconstrue or dilute this fact. Again, we do not blame you for making this tough decision. This is a situation that is impossible to understand unless you have been in it yourself. But understand that if you willingly enjoy, or if you go out of your way to make the Washington, D.C. mission more efficient and effective, do not be surprised if Americans look at you with resentment and shame in their eyes. So let's all do the right thing, as much as we can. And let's help others do the same, too. Let's not just criticize this deployment and future deployments on U.S. soil, but rather take the time and effort to help those soldiers who want to stand up for what is right. Let us help them have the courage to do the honorable thing and let them not forget that they are not alone. And that's all we have for this episode. Yeah, I know it's kind of a somber ending, but sometimes things work out like that. Don't worry, we're working on a lot of other episodes that don't take so much of a dark tone, so stay tuned for that. Also, make sure to do the usual and check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we don't always convert our YouTube videos to this podcast format, so just check out and make sure that you haven't missed anything. Also, remember that most of the content we put out on YouTube and our podcast isn't really meant for covering current issues, but for a future time. So you might find that if you go back and look through our archives on YouTube and LBRY, you might find some interesting videos that might help you out uh, in today's times, because when they came out, it wasn't really much of a factor. So go back and make sure to check out our other content. If you're just joining us and you haven't followed us for a while, you might actually learn something new. And with that, we will see you guys next time. And always remember, fight in the shade.